Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Run Wild with Lauren and Bud. We are so excited today to sit down and chit chat about our uh, weekend we just finished up. Bud and I ran the Black Mountain Marathon in North Carolina, so we're going to talk all about that. We're also going to talk about how us Southern folks uh, figure out how to dress for cold weather in these snowy races. So we'll talk about some of our gear and layering uh, our clothing for cold, snowy weather. We'll talk about how to get the stink out of our running gear um, and also about some upcoming races. So sit tight. We've got about an hour of chit-chatting and talking about running here in the Southeast. So here we go. Here we go. Good morning, bud. Good morning, Lauren. Okay, it's Monday morning uh, after race weekend. We just returned home from Black Mountain, North Carolina. And uh, Bud, tell me what we did there. So we ran the Black Mountain Marathon, 26.2 miles, more like 27 and a half maybe. And uh, it was up the mountain and then back down the mountain. The conditions were uh, snowy, windy, icy, rainy, muddy, cold. Uh, What else did we encounter? Oh my gosh, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, This year, this was my fifth year running it, uh, and we'll talk about that later, and Bud, this was your, like, what, third year? Third year. Yeah, and so I think for both of us, this was probably the craziest weather that we've encountered um, on this mountain. I mean, granted, it is winter. It's the highest peak in the east, uh, Mount Mitchell, and so I guess it's to be expected. And so, yeah, we had some ice and snow. The top of the mountain had a good six to eight inches of snowfall, um, and I th- at one point they had single-digit temps and, uh, you know, 50-mile-per-hour winds. Pretty crazy. Uh, but... Down in the valley where we began, uh, not too bad, cold. We woke up to some snow in the valley. Uh, When we were at the starting line, conditions were a little tough, (laughs) and I think we were a little worried. But, yeah, a lot of snow, wind, and ice, and very cold temperatures. Yeah. Yeah, I was was very scared when we got (laughs) to the starting line. Uh, There was not a lot of people, and normally there's a lot of people. Yeah, so... I think a lot of people backed out last minute because of the weather. I agree. Uh, um, were they smarter than us? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. And, you know, so let's tell people who aren't familiar with the race. But um, so the race takes place every year, typically in the last weekend of February. And there are two distances going on. You have the marathon that runs up from Black Mountain and turns around at the parkway on the mountain. And then you have the 40-ish mile challenge run that goes all the way up to the summit of Mount Mitchell and then back down, follows the same path as the marathoners. And because the weather was so, um, the conditions were so bad this year, they actually had to drop everybody to the marathon distance. So all runners ran the marathon distance. And so I'm sure there were some, you know, disappointed people um, and 
Yeah, the conditions were crazy. So people who just kind of set it out maybe and didn't want to deal with the, the weather. So the, I agree. There were fewer people for different reasons. Um, yeah, and I, it was funny. So I think Jim took a picture of us at the start. I need to find it. He didn't send it to me yet. But we probably looked pretty nervous because the winds were gusting. It was snowing. We were freezing. We'd just gotten out of our nice warm beds. <laughs> and we were a little bit worried. Um about what the conditions would be on top of the mountain. The perception is that, you know, the higher up in elevation you go, the more severe the weather should be. And so I think what we saw at the base level, and that town is about 2,400 feet in elevation, I think. And we we thought by the time you get up the mountain, it's got to be worse. Yeah. But the trails on the mountain are pretty well sheltered. You're in the woods. The the wind is blowing at the canopy of the trees. It's not really hitting us on the ground a whole lot. And all the snow had already fallen up there. Right. And so those conditions already existed. Um, we weren't getting any kind of precipitation dumped on us. It wasn't like uh, years past where it was raining the whole time. So we were just battling the cold and maybe icy conditions on the trail. There really wasn't a whole lot of uh, other stuff to get in our way, I don't think. Yeah, and, and I mean, it ended up being a great day out there, actually. Yeah, I think one of the things that the snow did, it kind of fills in the gaps between the rocks. And so if you're if you're okay standing on the ice, you're not stepping on the rocks. And so the, the trail was more even, I think. Yeah, I have to agree. It really was. It was almost like it made this compact paved surface <laughs> and it there's only a few spots that were slick enough to be like kind of covered in ice and for the most part uh yeah i mean i didn't use any traction you ended up putting some traction on about halfway up the mountain or a little further than halfway and i mean i could have yeah, definitely tell us, used some. Uh, tell us what traction is there's people that don't know what that is yeah so okay so uh We'll, and we'll discuss like different ways people do things. So there are these things, and there's, I'm sure there's other brands, but for running in ice and snow, uh, you, they make these little traction devices. They are um, things that slide on to the sole of your running shoe to give you, they're kind of like little spikes, and they give you traction in the snow and ice so that you're not sliding around. And so uh, they're pretty inexpensive, easy to use. I watched Bud slide his on like in a jiffy. They went straight on, strapped on to the bottom of his shoe and uh, gave him some nice grip on the slick surfaces. And so I'll tell you, I did not have any. I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. I should have bought some. I would have worn them because um, they definitely, I think, helped you feel more confident. Yeah, they're, they're worth their weight in gold. Yeah, they really are. that's what I learned from this race. I'm going to, you know, we're in... We're in the southeast United States. We don't deal with a lot of snow and ice, honestly. And so it's never been something that I've bought because it's just maybe once or twice a year that I really would need them. But when you need them, you need them, right? <laughs> and Bud was happy to have them. And yeah. I'll tell you what I did. The first year I ran Mount Mitchell, uh, just the marathon, I there is another trick. There's a, If you happen to have these tools laying around, which we did, you can get some little small sheet metal screws and you can drill those suckers into the bottom of your uh, running shoes. They are removable, they don't ruin your shoes. And it gives you nice traction on the ice. Um, however, the drawback to uh, drilling screws into your shoes 
is that they're not removable on trail. And so, uh, you know, if you get to a part where you have to run road or, or something, it could be really annoying to have screws <laughs> in your shoes. Um, so Bud had the right idea by using these, they call them yak tracks, uh, on the bottom of his shoes, easy to take on and off whenever he needed them. Um, and so I think for people who are like us, who don't run in much ice and snow, uh, it's worth it. Even if you do it just once or twice a year, it's worth it to have something. Right. They're kind of like snow chains for your feet. Yeah, That's absolutely. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed wearing them. And there was a maybe half hour to an hour where I needed them, but I wasn't wearing them. Yes. Because... You didn't have any. <laughs> there we go back to the Boy Scout was prepared right. and Lauren was not. <laughs> right. And I felt like it, it would be unfair. No, to have them. I told you. I said, put them on. I mean, honestly, I, you know, I did bust one time. Uh, it was not even a bad fall. Uh, and so I definitely could have benefited from them, but I didn't mind you having them and me not. Um, yeah. It I think out. it's time for me to mention one thing. What's that? So, well, I want to talk about, I have to name drop on this one. Okay. okay? And only because this guy's got the coolest name in the world. Oh, yes. His name is Guido Ferrari. Yes, Guido, yes. Now, this guy, what is it, 25 years running, he's done this race? this was his 23rd year completing this race, yes. Okay. This gentleman, okay, is standing on a ledge. It's icy. And this is one of the, the steepest ledges. You'll fall 500 feet to your death below it if you slip. And it's totally iced over. And he's standing there uh, allowing people to sit on their butt. And he's sliding them across this kind of like a, um, a sloped, shelfy ledge that's, that's you, you just can't get across this thing. And he's, he's shuffling people across it to help them get through. And... At first appearance, it really didn't look that drastic, but when you got there, you realize it's 100% ice. There is nothing you can do on sloped ice but slide down the mountain. And he somehow braced himself against a tree, and he's just allowing people to slide on by, and he's he's pushing us through. So thank you, Guido. Yes, yes. He was awesome. Yes. That was, there was one little section when we uh, got, or a few miles onto the mountain, and it's just like Bud said, it's like this sloped, section of exposed trail single track and you slide off that trail you slide down the mountain and it did not it just looked like packed snow but it was just completely covered in ice and we slid on our butts purposefully to get across it so we wouldn't plunge to our you know snowy deaths and yeah guido was the man he stood there and helped us both across he was helping people it was awesome a lot of people yeah. yeah, we have no idea how long he was there. Oh, yeah, there's no telling. Um, and so that was just really awesome. I love to encounter people on the trail like that because, I mean, this dude was just standing waiting for runners to come by to help. He's running the race himself. He knows this mountain really well, and uh, he was sacrificing his time to help everybody else stay safe, you know, and that's what it's all about. I loved it. Uh, it was great to see him and have his help and See that he's finished 23 of these. Uh, yeah. So and so, um, let me back up just a minute. So this race happens every year, like we said, at the end of February. And if you're looking for a fun challenge, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, people like Guido come back 23 times in a row 
through all kinds of crazy weather conditions because that's how great this race is. Um, it starts downtown in the town of Black Mountain, and which is a cool little place. And um, it travels up the mountain all the way. Uh, if you do the marathon, you get to where the Blue Ridge Parkway cuts across this mountain and you get to turn around and run back down. And if you're doing the full 40 miler challenge, you take this route all the way to Mount Mitchell, the summit, which is, I think it's like 6,800 something feet. And it is the official highest peak in the east, the highest peak in the Appalachian Mountains, um, by a couple of hundred feet, I think, taller than Mount Washington up north in the Appalachians. Um, and so it is such a neat experience, though, and I think, Bud, you can tell us how you feel, because the whole town participates, and even in this bad weather, man, the whole town is out there cheering you on and helping you out. It is such a neat experience. Um, the race director, he's a great guy. He puts it on every year, and he works closely with the, um, the park rangers for the Mount Mitchell State Park to keep everybody safe, um, which is why, unfortunately, some years they have to drop everybody down to the shorter distance of marathon um, because the conditions are just so uh, unsafe at the top. And so for me, I love this race because it is a small town race where the whole town gets in on it. Uh, a lot of people are running it for, you know, 10 times in a row, 20 times in a row for every one that there's been. Um, they just keep coming back because the atmosphere is great. It's a fun challenge. And you never know what the weather's going to be. It's crazy. We'll talk about All years right. past. So what do you think, bud? So the people of North Carolina, they're, they're, they're so dear to my heart. Um, everyone we encountered was phenomenal. These are the type of people, they'll give you the shirt off their back. And I met some uh, friends I didn't know I had through other people while we were on the trail. And oh, yeah. I, I actually, um, I'm a hobby blacksmith. And uh, I met some people that, that knew some of my other blacksmith friends. And so I'm going to end up making some stuff for these people. And you kind of, you meet other artisans. And so I make uh, handles for brooms. And this guy ties brooms. And so you're always trading them off between each other. That was really neat. But everyone in, in the town, all the eateries and everything, they're so happy to have the town flooded with outsiders because we're, you know, we're tourists. Uh, we brought our families with us. A lot of runners brought their support crew with them. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a great family environment. Um, it, it's a lot of fun in that town. Uh, the little kids, I don't know that there's a whole lot for them to do, but playing in the snow. Yeah. That, you know, I'm there to run the race, and having my family there, um, it, it was just phenomenal this year. Um, in years past, I've gone by myself, and, and it just wasn't that same type of experience. And it, I think it's definitely something to, to share with the family. It, and, I agree, yeah. You know, when you're running through the town, people are, are standing outside watching you come by. They woke up super early. It's snowing outside. They're drinking their coffee, and they're yelling at runners as they go by. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yep. Yelling nice things at us. Not, <laughs> not like, you're crazy. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Yeah, right, no. right. No, they're, they're excited for us. They, they probably think most of us are crazy. And... I think that, you know, the other side of it, uh, the Black Mountain Marathon has a very, very generous uh, cutoff. So yes. you're, uh, if you're a beginner, 
or even if you're like me and you like to go slow, uh, there's a lot of time. So you're not really pressed to, if you want to break your record from last year, go ahead. But if you want to just have fun, you can do that as well. That's um, so true, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, this is, I think some people are intimidated, like, oh, a mountain race. Yeah. But but it's true. There's a very generous cutoff. You can power hike this thing and have a good time. Um, and so, yeah, I think it would be a fun one for even beginners. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I can go back and try and break six hours or whatever it is for me. And uh, I think the, the fastest I ever did it was uh, like six hours and 15 minutes. Uh-huh. That's only like uh, maybe 45 minutes uh, slower than my fastest road marathon. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not fast. Yeah. Well, but, and, I mean, it's a haul. You're going up the mountain for like 14 uh, and a half miles. It's like 4,000, almost 4,000 feet of gain in that first 14 miles you're going uphill so it's not like you know unless you really want to sprint uphill for 14 miles you're going to be taking your time for sure and enjoying the views you know if you're like us <laughs> maybe some people sprint up obviously i guess uh, i i can't say enough about the volunteers yeah there was that spent the night on the mountain they went up a day yes. prior the blizzard hit them so they were up there getting snowed on and uh, of course, they didn't. They they had an uncertain uh, forecast. They didn't know what the weather was going to be like. Yeah. They they you have to have this broad explanation from the weatherman of what the weather is going to be because they just don't know. And so you you could have either sunshiny day or you could have a blizzard. You have no idea. It's anywhere in between. Yeah. And so these guys, uh, guys and gals they braved it. You know they went up there and camped out the night before, so that way they could rescue us had we needed it. Yeah. People. Uh, all, all the all the first responders that were up there, and then of course regular folk who were just there to volunteer, yeah. and they all battled the cold, and they they cooked food for us, and they they sat out the whole time. Uh, they even had some beverages for us and kept our spirits up. <laughs> for sure, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. They have good stuff in North Carolina. Yeah, so I yeah, so this year let's talk about the the race specifically this year. And I want to go back to years past cuz there's some some things we could talk about from from years past. So this year we were out there to have a good time. Uh, obviously we're not there to to break records. Uh, Bud even yelled at me a little bit because I was going too fast and he's like reel it in, Lauren. Uh, yep. And so really? So coming down the mountain, we decided to celebrate a little bit, and uh, we had brought some of our own adult beverages, you know, stowed away in our hydration packs, and we celebrated. Uh, but it turns out, what I love about this race, uh, one of the aid stations coming down had a little fireball of their own that they shared with us. And at the last aid station coming down every year, Pisgah Brewing Company has beer, and so they're out there handing out beer. Uh, so it's it's fun. Uh, we um, that is probably the first time I've run down a snowy mountain a little bit tipsy. I'm just gonna say it. Uh, <laughs> we were we were just celebrating being alive, and it was a beautiful run in the snow. We had dressed pretty appropriately, so we weren't freezing to death. We felt good. Um, and we were kind of lollygagging down the mountain, and it was it was fun. I had a good time. Uh, yeah, it was good. Well, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, why don't we tell them a little bit about our layering system and how that sure. works? Yeah. Because I think a lot of times um, you can you can take two approaches. One of them is 
you're either overdressed or you're underdressed. Absolutely. And so if you're going to go out into the into the winter elements and it's 25 degrees outside, if you're going to be standing there like ice fishing or something, okay, you have to be completely bundled up. Yeah. But if you're running, you're generating heat. Sure. You're going to be hiking, you're generating heat. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting still, I think you've got to be dressed a lot uh, more bundled up than if you're moving. And so it's kind of a trade-off. You have to be a little bit too cold standing still in order to be just right while you're moving. That's right. And so um, I'll just go over what I like to wear. So I'm a big advocate for Injinji socks. Um, for some reason, they keep me from getting blisters. They're toe socks. They keep my toes from rubbing. Uh we're not sponsored by anybody. No, no, no Gen G and I don't even know how to say it. Whatever they are, I don't wear them. Bud loves them. I know that. I like their toe socks. You got to get used to that if you don't like that. But if you like it, you like it. Yeah. And I have wide feet, and they just do me right. I just wear one layer though, the trail running socks. Hmm. But then uh, above that, I had a, a pair of real thin leggings, and then a pair of insulated leggings. And so that that's two layers yeah. on your legs. And, you know, my legs really don't need as much as my upper body, I don't think. Yeah. But I had on a athletic T-shirt. Um, I had one of those merino wool base layers. And I wore a, a North Face, uh, kind of like a sweater, quarter zip sweater type deal. And then I had my uh, rain jacket over the top of that. And I had a toboggan on. Well, we call those, uh, they're knit caps. Yeah. Everyone who's north, toboggans are sleds. Yeah, but yeah, down- yeah. We're southern folks <laughs> down here. That's right. Toboggans are the hats we wear on our heads. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, the only item of clothing that I alternated all day long was either did I have the buff over my nose or did I have it down around my neck? Yeah. And occasionally I would take off my gloves and uh, or I'd put them back on. And we had, my, my body was radiating heat through my hands, and, and it was also radiating heat through my toes. And so my feet really stayed warm. Um, what did it end up? It was probably about 35 when we finished, maybe? I mean, yeah, it had definitely, in the valley, warmed up. Um, and so the, the conditions changed. So, like, dressing in layers, how Bud described, I think is critical. Um, because, one, we were changing elevation. Uh, the sun had come out. We were, you know, up the mountain, then down the mountain. And so uh, probably at the end, it was definitely above freezing. Winds had died down. Sun was shining on us. Very different from when we started, which was, you know, uh, moonlight. <laughs> Sun's not up yet. High wind, snowing, um, you know, and colder as you climbed up the mountain. I think, you know, at the top, I don't know what the temperature was at top. Uh, but definitely below freezing. Uh, so, so the layers really were, were helpful. Um, and I think you felt good all day, right? You, you shed I some of your layers. Yeah. Once we hit the valley, you know, we shed our layers and went back down to just the base layer and that was it. Yeah. And, um, I had to wear my, my pretty good size orange mud pack cause I didn't want to throw my layers on the side of the trail and lose them forever, you know, right. and throw them. And so I, I stuffed them all in there. And uh, and if you could, Lauren, tell us what 
tell us what the women were. Sure. Okay, so I will be honest. I Okay, this is kind of something weird to me. I get overheated really easily and when I'm running, I should say. And I, I always carefully pick my layers because I want them to be easily removed if I get overheated, but I don't want to suffer and be too cold. This race in particular was hard for me to try to gauge how to dress. Uh, I have some like sensory issues, I guess, because I, I hate being bundled up, uh, even though I'm freezing. So this is what I did, um, and it ended up being perfect. I hit the nail on the head, and I was like, good job, Lauren, pat on the back. Okay, so I um, wore my very bottom layer. I have these smart wool leggings. They're footed leggings. I've had them for years. I probably got them from REI or something years ago for, for backpacking and camping. But they are just these wool tights, they're footed, that you pull on, kind of like pantyhose, but they're made out of wool, and they're uh, nice and sleek. So I put that on first, and then I put my normal running leggings on top of that, which are some Under Armour uh, insulated leggings for running in the cold. And then I also, over my footed uh, leggings, put over another pair of socks. I usually run in Swiftwick. Swift, yes. Is that what it's called? Wow, brain's not functioning today, Lauren. But that's what I usually wear. So I had, in, in essence, two layers of socks on, one layer of my footed leggings and uh, one of my normal running socks. So I had, you know, two layers on my legs, which I've, I never do. Um, and then I pull a skirt on top of that, and I will tell you why, because people are probably like, Lauren, that's crazy. But I always pull a skirt on top because the skirt has compression shorts underneath, and so it keeps all that, you know, jump from jiggling as I'm running up and down the mountain. And so I like the compression around my thighs and hips and my glutes. Um, and then the skirt's just cute, right? Okay. It's cool. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, so, so I have uh, two layers of leggings and a skirt that sits in with, with paired in shorts, a squirt in essence, that sits on top of that. And that was perfect for the snow. Um, and on top, I did a tank top, like a running tank top, a base layer merino wool, like you said, a long sleeve running shirt on top of that, and then a puffy, my puffy jacket, which again... I've never run in my puffy jacket. Uh, it's, it's a Patagonia down jacket, kind of the lighter type of down jacket. Um, and I thought I was going to be burning up in just a mess. But I will tell you, going up that mountain, I felt perfect. Uh, I just, I felt good. I couldn't believe it. Um, going down the mountain, like Bud said, we started stripping layers. And by the time we got to the valley, we were in our base layers um, and I felt great all day. Uh, I didn't get overheated. It was just right. And so I think the key, what we can both probably recommend, is layers, layers, layers. Because if you don't get it right, <laughs> you'd rather have too many layers than not enough. Because you can always remove. And I think maybe that's the moral of my story. Lots of layers. Yeah, I think so. And uh, we saw a lot of people. There was one dude wearing shorts out there. Ooh. Yeah. T-shirt. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And I guess to each his own. But uh, if someone goes out like that and has to get rescued, you know, 
I think it's it, that's not fair for the volunteers. Yeah, you know? yeah. This is a race you don't want to mess around with. Other races, I can be uncomfortable and suffer through. But this one, when there's snow on the ground, there's ice, you know there's high winds, you know the below freezing temps. It was so important, I think, to just have the layers, whether you needed them or not. Um, and, of course, we should mention I had gloves. I had a buff that I could pull over my face, and I had a buff covering my ears. Um, and that was great for the wind. Um, I brought hand warmers in my hydration pack and never used them. I did not need them. Uh, and so that was great. I think we both did a good job layering, uh, which, yeah, for me is usually hit or miss for races, I'll admit. Yeah, and for me, like uh, generally like a 25 to 28 mile trail run, I, I can do that fasting. Um, I can do that just drinking water uh-huh. and just popping a few little uh, Sour Patch Kids and that's it. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I did all day. Um, I don't, if I went further than that, I would have to be eating the whole time, yeah. you know, like peanut butter sandwiches or something. That's really what I like. But at the aid stations, I picked a few little pretzels and that was it. Yeah. And drank like a small shot glass of Coca-Cola. That was it. Yeah. And Man, that was that was cold and seriously refreshing. Yeah, they had those shot glasses of coke were frozen. They were frozen. Yeah, they're like slushies. They're like slushy. It it took my breath away. It was so cold. I I really enjoyed that. Um, that that's making me think of all the good food we had when we were down there. Yeah. Because there, you know, the pizza was phenomenal. Yeah. Afterwards, we had some pizza. Yeah. So some of my favorite places. there's the trailhead that's like a burger joint yes. you can get uh well, i don't know what all they have there they but got it's beer like and they've got it's like it's like pro- you know, yeah. pub you food. Get, yeah you can get it's pub food but you can get pasta or whatever yeah yeah if you're so inclined but yeah burgers that's, that's where you good. get yeah it's really good yeah and oh they also you know i i did get an excellent burger friday night I know we talked about, I only got the mushroom burger right. one year. That was last year. <laughs> yeah, so I got I got a real Angus burger. It was wonderful. <laughs> but they had this, they had this uh, tuna that I wanted to get. Uh-huh. It was like a, a giant slab of tuna that was like seared oh, cool. on a bun. And I wanted it so bad, but I was like, I've, I've got to have a burger. I can't have just this tuna thing right now. <laughs> Next time I'm getting it. Next time for sure. Yeah, yeah. We I like Trailhead. I didn't eat at it this year, but I agree. Trailhead's good. Um, my computer's making noises, you guys. So if you hear something funny, I don't know what's going on. That's good. Jen is sending us all these messages. (laughs) My computer wants me to do something. But yeah, I agree. There's so many great places, and so like like Bud's saying, the Trailhead's good. We ate at grandfather's my grandfather's pizza place. We eat there usually every year. My father's pizza. Or what's or grandfather's pizza. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a great place. We usually eat there every year. There's some great, the Biscuit Company. I know there's like the Blue Ridge Biscuit Company something. We're probably like butchering all of these names. But the, the little town's got some great eateries and places. Um, 
So we really highly recommend visiting and bringing your families. So this year, Bud had rented a house downtown in Black Mountain, and he, uh, uh, Jen and her son came along to kind of hang out, and my family, my husband and kids came, and Bud's family and kids came, and we all crammed into the house in downtown Black Mountain, and we had a great time. Uh, it, I wish we could have stayed longer, but it was great. Uh, we had our families with us and friends, and... We had a hot tub. I mean, come on, hot tub. We were a little uh, worn out. <laughs> Didn't get yeah. to use it as much as we wanted, but we had fun. Um, and so it was. Every year I go to Black Mountain for this race, I have a great time. And like Bud is saying, there's been years that I've gone without family and years that I've gone with family. And it definitely, this one tops them all. Having our families there just made it, like, really fun. Um, and we had a good time. So it's definitely one I think people should check out. It's not for the faint of heart. you got to run up a mountain and who knows what kind of conditions. Um, but it's worth it. I mean, even in these tough conditions, I had a great day. I didn't feel miserable, not one second of it. I, I just had a great time. So So when we when we do the Pitchell, we're gonna finish Yes at, on Mount Pitchell. That's right. Our self supported uh, you know, seventy ish whatever it is, mile run in North Carolina mountains will end at Pitchell uh, the Pitchell will end at Mitchell. This highest peak. Um, so I'm so excited. We actually didn't get to go up to the Mitchell this year because the state park is closed because of the snow. So I'm I'm stoked because yeah, we'll be back there soon enough. So I'm, I might get that tuna sandwich. <laughs> That's right. There you go. I don't wait a year. That's I can right. get it. Soon. That's right. You can get it there. You don't have to wait till next year. So we'll definitely be back in Black Mountain for Pitchell. But we're definitely going to go back. I think we've decided that, you know, we will come back year after year for this race because it yep. just is such a great experience. So real quickly, uh, last year when we ran it, uh, rain. It was not freezing rain. It was just cold rain the whole time. Uh, and, you know, that's what it is sometimes. Uh, and we did it and still enjoyed it. The year before, so this would be 2018, was the year... Uh, that it was like 65 degrees and sunny on the mountain, and I did the challenge. That was the one year I did the challenge, and that means I ran all the way from Black Mountain to the summit of Mitchell, um, and that was a great experience as well. That was your first year, bud, 2018. And um, I paced. It was a very tight cutoff, but yes, we made it. Yes, that's that's one thing. If you're thinking about this challenge, and you're a mid to back of the pack runner, um, that cutoff to get to the summit is very tight. It's a hard cutoff. Um, and so I just barely made that cutoff in 2018 to continue on to the summit. And I, I did, Bud helped so much. Um, he paced me up that mountain and I sprinted into that aid station for that cutoff and I made it. I was the last one through, I think that cut off and I got to summit and it was one of probably the best race experiences of my life. Um, we had, I had before the race, I knew that it was going to be hard for me to get up that mountain and make that, uh, cut off. I just knew I'm a, I'm a back of the packer. Um, you know, I can go fast if I push myself, but 14, 15 miles up the mountain, uh, it's hard, you know, and, 
um, Bud pays me, and I have set out a few weeks before. You guys know that I, I am a special needs mom, and I'm kind of active in that community, and I just put the call out on Facebook of all places. Um, hey, are there people in your life I can run for? Like, I need, I need to run for something bigger than myself. Um, you know, I'm not the greatest runner that ever lived, and sometimes I, I really need some motivation and some inspiration uh, to do hard things. And so I just kind of put a, a random call out, and the response was just overwhelming. I had parents, I had people reach out to me, say, will you please run for my kid or my family member? Um, you know, basically, who can I run for that can't run for themselves or that is having a hard time or that fa faces daily challenges that are way bigger than running up some mountain, you know, in North Carolina. And so I had this list of names of people and b what Bud and I did was dedicate a mile to each person on our list. And so I'd gotten some background information on people and um, we that during that mile we would talk about them and think about their challenges and think like how inspiring they were and if they can do hard things then we can do hard things like run up this you know silly mountain for fun and so i tell you without bud and without those people to run for i never would have made that cut off and got to summit uh it was a race that personally meant so much to me um and it is one of those i look back on like that was one of my greatest achievements i ran up the highest peak in the east it was hard and i i ran for some people beyond myself you know um i got to dedicate a mile to people some i knew some of the kids i've watched grow up and know their struggles intimately uh and some people i didn't know and i got to learn about and interact with so that what to me was a neat experience and bud got to be a part of that and i couldn't have done it without bud um, and that was 2018. And so this race is just so special to me in many ways. So. Yeah, and, and what it did for me, um, everyone on that list, uh, except for your, your children, of course. Yeah, or, my own children, or, yeah. And so as you described these people to me, um, I was learning about them for the first time. Mm -hmm. And you were able to recite things that you had learned to me and that kind of helped you go through it by teaching me about them. Yeah. Um, you were able to, to, to cover it. And, and it really did boost my spirits and it inspired me uh, to push as hard as I could. You know, just be blessed that we have able bodies. Yeah. Some, some people aren't blessed with an able body. Yeah. And so uh, they're going to support you in everything you do. But we have, to, we have to be so faithful with this able body that we've been given and and use it you know and yeah. and use it for people who wish they could you know they they would love to be out there suffering on the mountain yeah but what they is they they suffered it to get out of bed sometimes yeah you know they they suffer on a daily basis to battle for every breath that they have and we're so fortunate that we get to exercise and and try and run up a mountain yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, this year I didn't have a list. I, I, I think it's something I want to do in the future. But we did reminisce on that list and kind of talk about it and think about those um, individuals that we learned about. And I know I did some reminiscing, and I think we even mentioned uh, Robin, her mom. She had mentioned to me 
the first time around in 2018, we had ran for her. She was having some health issues, and she's still struggling. So uh, I was thinking about her during our run this year. Uh, and also, there's a girl that I've never met, a child, who's battling cancer, who used to be a part of my, one of my son's cheer teams. Uh, we mentioned her and, and her struggle. And so, um, you know, keeping that in mind, it's uh, those people, you think about the strength it takes to battle what they're going through. And, and, you know, something like running up a snowy mountain seems almost trivial and silly. And so it's just kind of inspires us to, like you said, use what we've been given, you know, these legs that run up mountains and to be able to um, just, it's almost like a walking meditation, gratefulness, being grateful for what we're able to do, and um, just being grateful that there's people out there that we can learn from, like these individuals we ran for. So, yeah, 2018 was a life-changing experience for me, and I know Bud got a lot out of it too, and getting to summit the mountain was a big deal for me. And so this race just holds such a precious place in my life and in my heart. that. And I definitely want to do the challenge again. I tried last year. I didn't make the cutoff by like eight minutes. Uh, last year was rough for me on so many levels, so no shocker there. But, yeah, I want to go back and do the challenge again. And Bud's going to help me get there, right? Maybe you do the challenge with me. Hopefully. Yeah, I made it. I mean, you know, I, I keep getting this urge, like I want to, I want to get in the best cardiovascular shape of my life. Yeah. I keep getting that urge, you know. Yeah. So we're gonna and, do it. I feel like it can happen. Yeah, it um, can happen. Of course. Come on, bud. So we're gonna and, do it. Watch out, world. We're gonna do it, and we'll find um, some amazing people to run for. I, yeah, we're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. And in the meantime, we're just enjoying Black Mountain and. Whether we're doing the marathon or the challenge, it's great. I encourage everyone to get out there and do it. Um, so fun. So fun. Uh, what else? What have we forgotten to tell people about Black oh, Mountain? You know, uh, when you come down off the mountain, you're running through neighborhoods and you're running through backyard trails. Yeah. And the, the people come out. They're greeting you. They, they've got their own little mini aid station set up. Where <laughs> yes. You guys just, yes. They want to give you a piece of pizza. They want to give you a drink Shot or something. <laughs> They're hanging out, they're excited. But when you get to the uh, Tomahawk Park, that's like a little playground area with a little lake. And I don't know, was it like a two-acre lake or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it's just this cute little lake, yeah, with ducks After and run, geese. Yeah, your final quarter mile, they make you run a lap around this little lake. So any spectators there, they can see you. There's a playground, and they can see you coming around the, the bend. Yeah. And you get this gorgeous view of the mountains. Mm. Uh, there's snow on the peaks, and yeah. you have to run this final quarter mile. And of course, uh, our kids came out and, and ran us in. Yes, and yes. So to me, that's that. I I can't believe how fast they were. Oh <laughs> of course, yeah, I'm we're at the end. Point. We're tired, and our like six year old sons are like sprinting yeah. and bounding, you know, towards the finish. <laughs> yeah. They, they don't pace themselves. They always run yeah. flat out. That's yeah. all they know how to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it is. It is so fun. It is. Uh, that finish line is the best because you do. Everybody gathers and, and your family or whoever's there supporting you, and they're watching you run around this little lake back to the, you know, the final end of the race. And, yeah, it's just fun. And, it, you know, this is not now, okay, this is not a race that hands out medals 
or has, you know, photographers chasing after you in the woods. This is a race for those who love the trail and who love the community, um, which to me, in my mind, is the best kind of race. Um, so if, you're, if that's important to you, like medals and, um, you know, the big finish line with music and, and photographers, if that's important to you, you know, you may, this may not be the best race for you, but if you love the mountains, you love the trail, you love the community, you love uh, just everyone pulling together, a whole town cheering you on, you will love this race. It is so great. And you all, you do get an awesome uh, finisher's award. You get a very cool fleece every year. have got five of them now. They have these really awesome uh, Black Mountain, uh, Mount Mitchell Challenge fleece. Sometimes they're North Face, sometimes Columbia, and they're so great. They're my favorite, favorite fleece uh, outer shells to wear. And it's I love putting them on because I'm like, yeah, Black Mountain. It reminds me of the race and the fun I had on the mountain. So to me, it's just perfect. It's a little different, uh, you know, kind of vibe than some people might be used to but i think you will love it and i i think you'll just get so much out of it yeah i i totally agree uh their t-shirts have real artistic logos on them um i like that yeah and so i wear things year round mm -hmm. and uh they give you a beer glass um put that to good use yep uh, <laughs> and the fleece is it, it's great i love having these jackets and either quarter zips or th this year it's a full zip. Yeah, I like that. I love it. Uh, this one in particular, uh, Lauren can see me, but no one else can. I can see this it. One, I love it. This has an excellent drape. Yeah. So uh, a slightly lanky person wearing this looks really good in it. Yeah. I think. <laughs> I say quite yeah, slightly lanky. Mine's still, in the wash. I've got down. <laughs> Mine's in the wash. I took. After the day after the marathon, um, when people are heading back home, my family and I went and did some hiking and and crazy stuff. And uh, you know, I was kind of kind of gross and rolling around in the mud and playing in waterfalls. So mine kind of I wore it this morning, and I thought, hmm, I can smell myself. I think this thing's got to go in the washing machine, but I'm excited to pull it out and wear it soon. Um, yeah. Hey, I've got something to ask you. Yeah. What's your routine on washing your uh, running clothes? Because I know that when you go to an event like this out of town, I don't know if you saw what I did, but I had a, like a contractor-sized garbage bag. Oh, and all yeah. Stuff there. You tie that up. Yep. And that if, if you've got an SUV and your clothes <laughs> are inside the trunk yep. area, you know, you're sharing that air around the town. You can smell it. Oh, yeah. you got to have it like sealed up tight. Yep. But... Everything that's in that bag is like still alive mm -hmm. and it's still generating sweat, you know? <laughs> so, so thriving yeah. colonies of bacteria in there, like, you know, yeah. yeah. The other option was if you had like a, um, a rooftop luggage rack or you had something, you could like put your dirty stuff up there yeah. or put it in a trailer or I whatever you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what do you okay. do? The first, because you cannot just throw it in the wash sometimes. Yeah, That's not yeah. It. You do. So you let me tell you what I do. I keep it really simple. Uh, I bring a garbage bag to seal it up in. I do the same thing. I strip everything off after I run, and it goes straight into the garbage bag that gets sealed up. 
Um, because, yeah, it's nasty. Now, summer's even worse. Obviously, we're down in the south, and it's hot and humid, and you just, I mean, the nastiness that becomes your body and your clothing during the summer. <laughs> oh, man, when you're running. So winter's not as bad, but still pretty bad. Uh, and so, yeah, I just strip down. It all goes into a garbage bag, and then when I get home... I just open, I hold my breath, I open the garbage bag, and into the washing machine it goes, throw in the soap, close the lid, uh, and yeah. And, you know, um, washing my running clothes, you know, there's different things, people do different things. During the winter, usually I can just use a good a detergent and everything comes out fine. Sometimes, uh, especially with sports bras or compression wear where that's really sitting on your body, that really absorbs all that nastiness. Uh, like after Scar, I had to strip the clothing, like I'd wash it and it still smelled bad. Um, so I'd actually like soak it in vinegar or add some vinegar to the wash and rewash until the smell was out. Uh, sometimes I find doing vinegar will help. Um, you know, letting it soak and then washing out the vinegar uh, just kind of helps strip some of the nastiness. Uh, yeah, and they make special, um, what am I trying to say, detergents for sports. But really, those just have heavy scents. I don't know that it's getting it any cleaner. It's just like scenting your clothes. Um, but I think we can all admit we've been there where we thought our running clothes were clean. And then we go out for a run and we start sweating. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, it, I reek. Where is this smell coming from? Uh, so I tried. I've, I'm learning techniques to avoid that. So usually everything goes straight to the wash. If I smell that there's still a hint of nastiness, I will rewash with some vinegar, um, you know, something like that. And for me, that, that seems to work. I do the same thing with my hydration pack. Uh, I put it on the gentle cycle. I throw those suckers, take the bladder out, take everything out, and I throw those suckers in the wash. Because let me tell you, uh, down here in the south during the summer, those things get nasty. When they're sitting on your back for hours in the sun, running ultras, and nasty. And so, um, you know, I used to try to hand wash to those suckers, and I just, you know, they go into the wash. Everything goes into the wash. And then just, yeah. Trying to so I, nastiness. I can give you guys a couple little tricks and I agree with everything you're saying. And the only thing I've had to do, I'm a man. Mine's a little bit worse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, a five gallon bucket. Okay. That's a pre-soak. Yeah. Okay. So things are really, really bad. I'll take a five gallon bucket and put like the stuff in there that I, that, that is really, really bad. Okay. And I'll soak it with vinegar yeah. and it'll be, It'll be strong vinegar, so it'll be at least, <laughs> undiluted. You, yeah, so you got a five-gallon bucket full of clothes. Maybe there's room for about two or three gallons of liquid after you put your yeah. running clothes in there. Yeah. And so I'll have like half a bottle of vinegar, and the rest is water. So it's at least 20, 30 yeah. percent vinegar. Okay. And and that stuff has to soak for a few days. Uh -huh. And sometimes uh, some borax, I'll use that as well. Ah, or like, what are yeah. they? Uh, well, here's why I have because I'm a blacksmith. We use borax for flux while you're forge welding. And stuff. Okay. But you can buy it. It's it's for detergent and stuff, and it and the stuff works great. Okay. I, you know, forgive me. I'm a chemist, but I do not know what in the hell borax does for detergent. 
It, maybe it's an oxidizer. I don't know. I it think so. Something. It's pretty basic. It's an oxidizer. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I've used borax before. I, I I have some in my laundry cabinet. Yeah, the function in blacksmithing, they claim that it dissolves rust. Oh, I see. It does. It rust is already oxidized, and so like scale and stuff on metal, it, it dissolves it and helps it wipe off whenever the stuff is that forge welding temp. In the washing machine, I don't know. It, it's doing something. Does something. It, does some washing magic, you guys. <laughs> it, it boosts your detergent or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's another little trick, and this is more or less because I like to over-dye clothes and do stuff like that. You can take anything, cotton, whatever, soak it in vinegar, and it's going to get softer. Okay. And so when you're, when you're dyeing synthetic fabrics, um, you have to use something like... Uh, a vinegar to activate the the fibers it's like a mortent okay am i saying it right i that, don't know that means, but you're trying to open up those fibers right and make them well kinda... the mordant is what locks it in ah, and okay. i think that means death okay. but i don't know why they use these terms <laughs> we're just repeating what we know who knows <laughs> have you ever had one of those super soft race t-shirts uh-huh like Bella Canvas or whatever oh, they are. Yeah, yeah. It's cotton, but they treat it by soaking it in vinegar. That's what they do. Okay. You can any of your shirts that are not soft, you can soak them in vinegar, and then they will be soft later. Mm, May. Okay. And soak them for a few days, but it, it will get there. Okay. Just a trick. Just a trick. We're going to try it out. I'm going to try that out. But, yeah, I agree. Vinegar usually does, does the job. Um... But yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, um, I feel lately that I've had good luck getting my clothes clean. Um, I will say after Scar, uh, when we did that little jaunt through the Smoky Mountains, that was, you know, approaching upon summertime, that was a lot of sweat. It took a few washes to get those clothes back to normal. (laughs) Those things were... And one of my problems there, I stuffed all that stuff in a bag, and I was so beat up after Scar, I left it too long. Yeah, same here, same here. And it and it was already starting to decompose when I opened the bag. <laughs> it was, yeah, <laughs> transforming into some kind of mutated uh, mass of, of organisms. You spend so much, so much money and effort doing an event that you don't even realize that maybe there should be some consumables or things that are disposable. And so, you know, you could take, by the time a $3 pair of underwear has gone through it, yeah. I think you should throw them out. Yeah. You know, do something. Yeah. You've worn them rid of it. Yeah, and I will say that, like, sports bras, the things that sit on your body, oh, man. Those are valuable, though. Yeah, they're, are, they're valuable, but they do reach a point where it's, like, the point of no return, um, you know, when you spend and this is where when you spend the money on good gear this is why it's important because it holds up through all these like really stringent washing and stripping techniques and i will say that i i spend the money on good gear like my running skirts and my sports bras because we do put them through hell not only are we putting them in tough conditions while we're running but then we've got to keep them clean and it does it takes a toll um, so if you use the higher quality fabrics, the higher quality gear, it will last longer. I am a firm believer in that. I, you know, at my core, I'm a cheapskate and I don't like to spend money, but there are things where 
it does make a difference when you buy quality gear. Um, same with your socks, you know. Uh, you're going to wear through them, but you need some that are going to last through what we put them through. So that's kind of that case where you have to balance, you know, your budget against, look, I'm putting this material through some shit and, you know, through a lot, and I want it to last for some amount of time. And so, yeah, I think that's where it becomes important, picking your gear. Um, it, it does become important for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I agree. Oh, well. so, okay, bud. So, we've been talking nearly an hour here about Black Mountain, and really, I mean, go look it up. They have a webpage. They're on Facebook. It's the Black Mountain Marathon and Mount Mitchell Challenge. Uh, if you've not heard of it, go check it out. And, I mean, even if you're not going to run the race, go to Black Mountain and go do a hike up to, to Mount Mitchell uh, we'll be back at Mount Mitchell, like Bud said, for Pitchell, and uh, we'll we'll have footage from that, and I'm sure we'll do a podcast on that. Um, but it's a great race. We love it. Um, so let's talk about, just a minute, what do you got going on in the spring, Bud? Anything exciting? Obviously, we're kind of gearing up for Pitchell. We, we haven't even knocked down a date yet. We're just still kind of in the works. But what do you have? Do you have anything on the schedule? So I think the next race I'm signed up for is the Rock Creek River Gorge race. Yes, good one. And uh, Jen Graver is doing that with me. And that's in Chattanooga uh, get... in the River Gorge. Yeah, and so it's it's, it's actually the uh, Mullins Cove Loop, which is part of the um, it's in the Prentice Cooper uh, State Forest, and uh, I think the 21 mile that we're signed up for has the Mullins Cove Loop and then another one attached to it. Uh, I just got, just got word two days ago that Jen wants to drop down to the 10 mile loop. <laughs> and it, it didn't take a whole lot of arm twisting right? to have it. Yeah, because that's some pretty tough oh. trails. I mean, those are, those are legit uh, trails, you know, single track, technical, rock gardens, elevation. Beautiful views. It's a great race. I've run it a couple of times in years past, and yeah, I know you have so, Yeah, for me, the Mullins Cove Loop. Um, when I'm feeling good, it's about a two and a half hour to two hours and forty five minute loop. Okay. And uh, when I'm goofing off, it's about three hours twenty five minutes. Yeah. And it's it's right about nine point eight miles, maybe ten miles, and uh, I love that place. Uh, it's also part of the stump jump course, yes. but uh, this is just the, the loop on its own. Um, check out Rock Creek Races. Yeah, I'm hopefully going to be there to cheer you guys on. I know. Um, I think right. I have no kid activities that weekend. We kind of have like cheer going on and maybe soccer starting up. So hopefully I'm gonna get down to cheer you guys on. And I do love that race. That's a that's a great one. Um, for me, I've got Yamacraw coming up, which is uh, in Kentucky and around the Big South Fork area. If you've never been up there, oh man, that is such a neat area. Uh, love the Yamacraw race. I've run it before, so I'll be doing that. And new for me, I'm so excited. Um, I am going to be running the Dark Sky 50, which I've never run before. I've wanted to. And it also is up in this area around Pickett State Park and Big South Fork, um, which is north of Nashville and up into Kentucky. My computer's going crazy. Bear with me, guys. It's uh, I'm getting ads for something. Woo, girl in bikini. Okay. 
Back to Dark Sky 50. But I'm really excited. Um, it's I think it's going to be fun. It's put on by Nashville Running Company. If you're in Nashville, check them out. They're a neat little place. And uh, so, yeah, that's what I've got going on in spring. I'll be up north of Nashville. You'll be in Chattanooga doing your race. I'm going to be hitting uh, northern Tennessee, southern Kentucky for some races. And I think it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to spring and warm weather. No more snow, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh officially signed up the only other race i'm officially signed up for right now is the mobile yeah and mobile. I, I think they moved that to october this year they did they did yep and i'm i'm running that with your son Forrest. that's right? right so my little guy who is six um he wants to run a hundred miler and he loves to run. He's run a 10K and so Bud is going to run a hundred miles and we told Forrest, my little six-year-old, hey, we'll sign you up and you just run as much as you can. And so he has his heart set on a hundred. Uh, we'll see what he gets done. I'm excited for him. He wants to run with Bud and uh, yeah, he's uh, he wears my little hydration pack. He wears one of my orange mud hydration packs and he wants to be a runner, man. So, uh, so that's going to be fun. That's a fun one. Yeah, I'd like to speak to that a little bit. So I think yeah. there may be some people who have an adverse reaction to that. They're like, oh, my God, 100 miles, a six-year-old. You can't let him do that. <laughs> well, no one's forcing him to do anything. No, not, no, he begged and begged and pleaded. Anyone has got <laughs> anything critical to say, this little guy can probably outrun them and outlast them. But I think it's totally safe because we're going to keep calories in him. Yeah. Uh, keep him hydrated, and he's going to decide when he's done. That's right. He can. It's a little loop. It's like a three-mile loop, and there's a one-mile loop option. He gets to stop whenever he wants. That's right. And I feel like uh, this is the type of situation. You know, little kids always want to stay up late. They want to stay up late. So you let them stay up late, and they pass out. Yes, okay. yes. You know, he's going to decide when he's done. Oh, he will. <laughs> but... Uh, he, he may wake up the next morning and keep adding miles to it. I that's don't know. That's right. And that's the great thing about this race. It's such a fun event. This takes place outside of Nashville, the Mobile at Montgomery Bell Park, State Park. And it's such a fun, family-friendly event. And it's just this loop course. And you can just run and then rest and run. And it's like a big party. And absolutely... <laughs> Yeah. You can you can do what you want. And so that's we're just going to have a good time and let him run as many miles as he wants. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it a lot. Yeah. Uh, be fun. It's a really nice park. They've got cabins there. Yep. Uh you can camp out, you can tent camp, you can truck camp or van camp. Yep. And they have cabins you can rent. And uh the people that put this on, uh awesome sauce. They're they're incredible. They are. They, absolutely. Uh, really sweet people and they 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 always have good food spaghetti or lasagna or something or i don't i don't remember what all they have sometimes pizza uh but it's oh, 24 yeah. you know coffee all day long and yeah uh, uh, when you know that that's one of the things that is important to me uh when you see race directors that really get involved in their races and really care about the people that are in the races that's the most important thing to me yeah. um I've, I've been around uh, several race directors that do just that. Yeah. Um, you, you can tell when you when you look at them, when they're hosting their event, they're so excited 
They want to see every single person on the trail. They want to see every single single person coming into the aid stations. They can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. But when someone is actually going and placing themselves on the trail at strategic places because they want personal photographs with their participants, because they want to take these selfies at the overlook with their participants, yeah. you can tell that those people care about uh, everyone who's participating in the event. For sure. Um, I think race correcting overall, uh, it's the love of the sport. I, I seriously doubt there's anyone who's doing it solely for the money. There's probably not a whole lot in there if you really look yeah, at it. Yeah. So these people are doing it for the love of the sport and for the love of the people. Yeah. And they, the effort that goes into um, race correcting is huge. They have to coordinate with so many different agencies. So you've got the Forest Service, the Park Services, county governments, local law enforcement. You have lots of um, first responders that you have to coordinate with to help volunteer at the event. And there's landowners and land management people that you have to deal with to get permission to cross over different sections of territory. Right. So a lot, a lot of the trail races that we run, um, you can't just go train on those trails in the off-season because a lot of them aren't continuous. Yeah, and so true. there may be small sections of trail that are open to the public and there's other sections that are on private land or on management land. And uh, there may be sections that are on private hunting clubs or private game reserves or it could just be totally private ranch land and, and they get permission from the owners to carve a trail through there to connect different sections. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people don't understand how do you coordinate all that and how do you, how do you make this happen for two days out of the year and, and well it, it, it takes a lot of effort it takes a lot of planning and and the race is not two days it actually takes these people six months to eight months planning that race yeah. and and they're planning a dozen races at the same time so they're spending a lot of time and effort in there as well as you know the insurance and liabilities and they have to uh, do their own travel and coordinating and then they've got volunteers and a lot of these race directors have uh, volunteer helpers and some of them also have paid employees yeah. and they're they're uh, they're paying people's wages out of their own pocket and then hoping to get back something from one of these races so um, that brings me to something else which is something I'm guilty of which is not participating as much as I should um, you mean like volunteering at races and uh, things? Oh, uh, I volunteer quite a bit. Yeah, I know you do. Participating in smaller events. Oh, so I see. What's a what's a 5K? What's a 10K? You know, what's a marathon distance? When you're trying to do these ultra marathons, there's a lot of smaller races that, if we participate in them, then they will get a revenue stream from that, which will allow them to continue growing those events. Uh huh. And and I think that. Um, when you're a seasoned runner and when you have done a lot of things and you're not really looking to pad your resume with stuff, you could fall out of the habit of, of participating in a race. And if you do that, they'll drive and go away. Yeah. So you have, you have to maintain your status in that community and continue to, to pay registration fees, continue to be a person who shows up at the event continue to be one of the people who demands the event 
And so they've got to, you know, just like anything else, there's a su supply and demand. And yeah, so if they've, got, if they've got a place for 400 athletes, but only 100 show up, well, the race is either going to shrink or it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. But if there's a place for 400 athletes and 600 people want to do it, and 600 people are willing to pay, then they know they either have to grow it or they have to split it and do something else, or maybe they raise the prices. I mean, it's supply and demand. Yeah. And so as long as, as we're active trail runners and we do trail maintenance, we volunteer, we, we also have to pay to enter these events because we don't want them to go away. Right, you know, absolutely. I, I can't just sit back and say, you know, I've done all these races and I've got the little award and I got the t-shirt and all that. I'm probably not going to sign up for anything for three or four more years. And then I'll start cranking off races again. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. If you sit back, they're going to dry up and go away. Yeah. You have, you have to show a continual demand that you want to participate in these events and give the race directors the support they need to keep doing what they do. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. Makes a lot of sense. Oh, Bud's soapbox. There you go. Uh, welcome to Bud's TED Talk on giving back to the trail community. And it is hard. You know, it's hard, and we've talked about this before, um, balancing everything. Training, running races, volunteering, trail maintenance, and life duties. It's a lot, and I know it ebb and flows for everyone. Um, and so I love to see people supporting the smaller races, people supporting, um, you know, trail maintenance, giving back. And it is such an important part. I mean, we could probably do a whole po podcast just on that topic because I know myself, like my, my kid's school just called. That's why I was looking down at my phone. Um, so who knows what that's going to be about. But, you know, balancing it all, it's tough. And so I know when I see people out there like you – are a good example, bud. You volunteer at a lot of races. You help a lot of people out. And that takes a lot of your time. That's time away from your family, time away from your own training and running. Um, and so uh, we need to encourage each other. And we and just, you know, I we get it. It's tough. It's tough to make everything work and to have time to do it all. But it is so important. It's important to, to um, support those small races, support race directors, support their trail maintenance efforts, all of those things and of course support each other is is a lot of it um yeah yep. all right bud yeah. well thank you outside magazine trail runners are not parasites that's right we're not parasites everybody <laughs> if you're a trail runner you probably remember that uh, article look they called us parasites yeah. because we just go and ruin those trails and never give back to them which couldn't be further from the truth from you know what i see now maybe in other parts of the country there's a struggle with trail maintenance but i mean i know here in the southeast, I see so many people I know who regularly take part in trail maintenance and volunteering and supporting races. Um, and maybe we're just lucky in this region, the southeast, um, but I see it all the time. Um, and uh, and so, could, yeah. I could be overly critical of that article, but maybe they sprung us into action. Yeah, maybe, so maybe some people maybe, read that and thought, you know what, I need to get off my ass and do more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe by insulting us. You're right. You know. I'm gonna, right, those insults. Woo, get you moving. That man. hurt. That hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. Okay, bud, we're gonna wrap it up. We've been talking for over an hour here. We got to talk all yeah. about our one of our favorite races, Black Mountain. A little bit about what's on the horizon. Uh, how to deal with stinky gear. <laughs> maybe we gave you some tips you can use. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else you want to throw out there before I see what uh, my kids are up to at school? <laughs> this is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. And it is my absolute favorite trail running food. Ah, it's favorite. Okay. So a lot of people like gels. A lot of people like, <laughs> what else do they take? I don't know. All kinds but, of bars and gels and, and little yeah. gummies and, yeah. My opinion, and it's just me. I Train like your a good PB&J on the trail. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I pack them. It sits pretty well with me. I know some people can't have solid food. I, I have to. Yeah, me too, and I, Me too. Train, train your body to take, uh, you know, solid. Now, obviously, I can't eat like a lasagna or something like that. <laughs> but well, I don't know. Uh, if you can handle PB&J, <laughs> I think you can do an ultra. Yeah, I agree. So. Well, bud, maybe we should do another podcast on like fueling and what do we eat. We'll do that when we do Pitchell because we're gonna have a lot of food stuff to talk about, I'm sure. And we got to get planning on that. I was just thinking about that today. Time to get serious and uh, set some dates and figure out a plan. So, anyways, thanks guys for hanging in there. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions about races, we'd love to hear anything else, bud. Nope, got it. All right, we'll see y'all next time. Bye. Bye bye.